Genesis chapter 17, verse 15. God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai anymore, but her name will be Sarah. Abraham had been given the promise some time earlier. He was still named Abram when God said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse anyone who dishonors you. All of the families of the earth will be blessed in you. Sarai was 65 when that promise was made. It was years later when Abram still had no children that God took him out of his tent and said, Now look toward the sky and count the stars if you are able to count them. This is what your descendants will be like. And Genesis says that Abram believed in the Lord, and the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. But Sarai was getting older. Abram doubted. And Sarai doubted. They doubted that the promise would be fulfilled through her. So they arranged a plan to make God's promise come true. Abram took Sarai's Egyptian handmaid Hagar as a second wife, and she bore him a son named Ishmael. Sarai was effectively cast aside, even by her own belief. But now God gave Sarai a new name, Sarah, signifying that the promise was still hers. And God remained faithful to her, even when Abraham had given up on her, and even when she had given up on herself. Examine her new name. Sarah and Sarai are variations on the same name in Hebrew. And there's a great deal of speculation about what the difference might be. One thing of note is that when Abram and Sarai were both renamed, each received a single additional letter to their name in Hebrew, the letter He, a letter that occurs twice in the divine name Yahweh. God put his own name onto both of them. Just as he puts his own name with his promise on you in your baptism, and he reminds you of it each time you return in repentance, and each time the words of absolution are spoken over you, forgiving your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Another noticeable thing is that Sarai sounds like the Hebrew for my princess, while Sarah is simply the word for princess. The promise, spoken anew as we will read, stated that Sarah would be a mother of nations and kings of many peoples will come from her. She was of value not only to her immediate family, but she was now properly a princess in a universal sense. She would be the mother of God's people. And this is significant too when we see that the root word of her name is a verb, which means to to rule or to fight, or to wrestle. And this root would be used in another name change in Genesis when Jacob was renamed Israel. English ears need to listen very closely to hear the S-R-H in the name, but the two names are related. So Sarah herself, who wrestled with God's promises, would be born by those same promises, absurd as they may seem. And with the promise came her new name. And one more significant name connected to an absurd promise comes from the prophet 
Isaiah. Look, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and name him Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. This old lady, Sarah, would have a child, and not just one, but she would be the mother of all God's people. Is that any more outlandish than the idea that a virgin would give birth to a son, and that her son would be God himself? We sing hymn 110, verse 2. Genesis chapter 17, verse 16. I will bless her and give you a son by her. Yes, I will bless her and she will be a mother of nations. Kings of many peoples will come from her. God restates his promise. A son will come by Sarah, who has now received her new name. God has remembered her. He blesses her. He calls her now a mother of nations. And this regards the meaning of her name again. She is royalty not only in her own household, but over, plural, nations. And her descendants are both physical and spiritual. The seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head would physically descend from Sarah's children. And he would be the culmination of all those kings who would come from her. He would be called Sar Shalom, Prince of Peace. Those who believe in him are called a royal priesthood, and we are co-heirs with Christ. That same Christ is called the wisdom of God. The book of Proverbs personifies wisdom as a woman that's, and says that wisdom calls out loudly in the street. In the public squares, she raises her voice. If you respond to my warning, I will pour out my spirit for you. I will make my words known to you. Therefore, the wandering ways of the gullible kill them, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety. He will be secure without fear of evil. We are called to listen to our Savior's voice. He is an impossibility, someone who is both God and man. And yet, he is God's wisdom. We believe in him then. St. Paul says of Sarah, she is our mother. We are children of the promise. That is, Sarah's children, not children of Hagar, who was the man-made method chosen by Abraham and Sarah, seeking to make God's promises make sense. But God works through his chosen means, not ours. We would do well to listen to his wise voice and regard ourselves as foolish and see what joyful bliss he provides through his means of grace. 
Thereby we indeed inherit Sarah's royalty, royalty she was given by virtue of her descendant, Jesus. We sing verse 3. Genesis 17, 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to someone who is 100 years old? Will Sarah, who is 90 years old, give birth? Abraham doesn't doubt the promise. He doubts the means. That is why he and Sarah arranged the plan with Hagar. But now... He laughs at how God would nevertheless work for Sarah, and he rejoices because he hears God's word. Therefore, because of his laughter, their son would be named Isaac. In Hebrew, it sounds like Yitzhak. It's a laughing sound. How do we respond when God speaks to us? For we, too, hear God speaking to us in the word, in baptism, and in communion. But what is it that he says to us? Is he frightening us? Is he threatening us? Is he accusing us? By no means. Indeed, the church constantly hears these familiar words, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. I am gracious toward you through my son. You will be an heir of eternal life. Compare how Abraham responded to this absurd promise. Will Sarah, who is 90 years old, give birth? Compare that to how Mary responded to another promise. How will this be, since I am a virgin? And soon afterward, Mary sang a song of joy that proclaims the greatness of the Lord, who has shown strength with his arm. Rescue came to the outcasts the people of God who were outcast in slavery to sin, through his Son showing his strength as the Lord of might. The same God who rescued Israel from Egypt, saying, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the forced labor of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from being their slaves. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. The greater fulfillment of this rescue and this promise to Sarah came in the one born of Mary. And that one who was descended from both a virgin and an old woman, and he was older than both. The prophet Micah says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the lands of Judah, from you will go out the one who will be ruler for me in Israel. His goings forth are from the beginning, from the days of eternity. Indeed, will Sarah, who is 90 years old, give birth? 
And will her descendant, the king who comes from her, be the eternally begotten Son of God? We sing verse 4. Genesis 17, 18, and 19. And Abraham said to God, Oh, let Ishmael live in your presence. But God said, No, Sarah, your wife, will bear a son for you. You shall name him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. God always grants more than we ask or understand. Abraham utters a prayer for his son Ishmael. And God may answer yes, or no, or wait. Here he clearly pronounces no. But it is to show his greater gift in providing the son of promise to Abraham's beloved wife thought to be barren. That trite phrase about God closing one door to open another is true, but only when connected to God's promise. Look where God has attached that promise and trust it. He gives this promise, for instance, this is what will take place on that day. The peoples will seek the root of Jesse, who will be standing like a banner for the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. It seemed as though that root had failed when he lay resting in his grave after his bitter and painful crucifixion. People who trusted in him thought that his plan had failed. St. John had a vision of a similar seeming failure. I began to weep bitterly because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Then one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed and is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. That lion was a lamb who had been slain. With his blood, he purchased people for God out of every tribe and nation and language and people, made into a kingdom of priests, a spiritual descendants for Sarah. This blood sweeps you up in its flood through baptism. When you weep over your sins in repentance, that seems like a defeat. But then you are given again the words of forgiveness and the victory of that lamb. The word proclaims his victory to you, the victory that is for you. In the sacrament of the altar, you drink that lamb's blood and eat his flesh, joining you to his body, his royal nation. This is an everlasting covenant. We sing verse 5. 
Genesis 17, 20 and 21. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Yes, I have blessed him. I will make him fruitful and will multiply him very greatly. He will become the father of twelve chiefs, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear for you at this time next year. God does hear Abraham's anxiety over his son Ishmael, and he provides a blessing for him. He would be a great nation of twelve chiefs, but the covenant is not for him. That covenant for Isaac, the child of Sarah, was for many nations. Now trace this. Only one nation descended from the children of Isaac, the nation of Israel. Therefore, this covenant is for those who are grafted into the seed of Abraham by faith. For this reason, the promise is by faith so that it may not be according to to grace, so that it may be according to grace and may be guaranteed to all of Abraham's descendants, not only to the one who is a descendant by law, but also to the one who has the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. Again, the hope for a physical blessing is granted by God, but it pales in comparison to and indicates more fully the eternal blessings God gives by his covenant given to Isaac whose descendant would bear the keys of David. Whatever he opens, no one will shut. Whatever he shuts, no one will open. This is Jesus. And if he has declared to you that your sins are forgiven, that you will rise with him, that he has prepared an eternal living place for you, that he has saved you, will you doubt it? We sing verse 6. Genesis 17, verse 22. When he finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Visibly, God departed. But Abraham had his word, his promise, his covenant. Jesus said these peculiar words while he walked the earth. Your father Abraham was glad that he would see my day. He saw it and rejoiced. Jesus said these words because, through promise, he already was with Abraham, even while Abraham waited for fulfillment. It's not Christmas yet. Maybe you're tired of me saying that because you might have celebrated with family. You might have sung Christmas songs with the radio or with carolers. You might have enjoyed the beautiful lights. 
all good things. In the church, though, we remain reserved this Advent season, and this is a training regimen, helping us to grow in patience as we wait for the coming of our salvation. It's worth the wait, like all good things. But even though our Savior has departed from our senses, we have his promise in things we can sense, even while we wait. Word and sacrament give us Jesus, the Jesus who died to save us. We can wait because we already rejoice to own him. Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, rejoiced with a song when his son was named, even though the son of Mary had yet to be born. The rising sun from on high will visit us, he sang as he rejoiced while he waited. The people of God have always had this practice of rejoicing while we wait. As Isaiah prophesied, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for the land that was in anguish. In former times, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, he will cause it to be glorious along the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan and the Galilee of the Gentiles. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. For those living in the land of the shadow of death, the light has dawned. That light, that day spring, is Jesus himself. The one who comes to the people in bondage and darkness and cheers us. When you feel as though you are alone, lost without God, when you feel as though you are unforgivable, when you feel as though you can't bear your pain, every one of those things may be true. But Jesus comes and turns all of them on their heads. He does not forsake you. But when you bear crosses, you may see the cross that Christ bore for you. When you have sinned with such magnitude that you would be ashamed to show your face, you may see Jesus' shame that he took for you. When you crumble under your pain, you may see Jesus picked up and attached to a tree for you. In your weakness and pain and darkness, know that Jesus comes there. His glory is not yet revealed for us, but we have his promise. Based on his resurrection, when his flesh took up the glory of God. The cold now will pass. The warmth of God's face will shine on you, and it already does shine on you whenever you hear his word and receive his sacraments, by which you are joined to that now glorified flesh of Christ and receive that life and glory. Therefore, our constant prayer as we wait is, O come, and as we pray, we rejoice. We sing verse 7. Mm -hmm.